Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from a rainy Macomb, Illinois, and I have swum into the office this morning uh, to, we're going to be having a great show today. We're going to be talking with horticulture educator Sarah Vogel about trees, uh, some of those troubles with trees that we might encounter in our home yards and landscapes. Uh, but before we get to Sarah, uh, we have to introduce our co-host with us every single week. We are joined by Katie Parker, local foods educator in Adams County. Hey, Katie. Chris, how are things going for you? Uh, well, I got the canoe moored out front. Um, you know, I'm just uh, waiting for the next round of rain to start here in Macomb. How are you? Pretty good. Are you starting to gather the animals? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> the animals, they're coming two by two to my doorstep. <laughs> Right. I say I have a, a window on my front porch that my uh, kids leave open and literally there are cats coming into my house right now. So. Oh, really? Yeah, that mostly our like, cats. Not always, though. Sounds like fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sounds like a party. Swing by, <laughs> drop off your cat. It's okay. got a place. We can uh, put a sign out front. <laughs> Someone who I know also loves cats uh, is horticulture educator Ken Johnson in Jacksonville, Illinois. Hey, Ken. Hello. Love may be a little bit of a strong word. <laughs> I know. For, you have a for, ghost for my cat. Feelings on cats. We do have a cat, but I'm more of a dog person than a cat person. And you've, you've explained in previous times that your cat hides from everybody, right? It just stays away from the dog. You... Yeah, she's still angry at us for getting a dog a year later. Yeah. That's, that's cats for you, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well... So, well, Ken, Katie, I know we, we've talked about trees before on the podcast, and I know that we've all have a vested interest, you know, having trees in our yards. Um, so, you know, we have a special guest with us today, horticulture educator Sarah Vogel, uh, to talk with us about trees. So let's welcome Sarah onto the show. Hello, Sarah. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you so much, uh, Chris and Katie and Ken, for having me on. Well, we are happy to have you here. Now, Sarah, you've been with Extension for, help me out here, has it been a year now? Um, it has, it has. I passed my year mark in March, so uh, it's, it was a strange year to start a new position, uh, <laughs> but I'm glad to say that uh, Good Growing actually was a really good way to help me get to know my coworkers and their voices and personalities, so I do thank you for that. Well, that, that's why we're here, um, to, to entertain and educate, I, hopefully, <laughs> that, that we're hopefully entertaining and educating. So, you know, you know, you never know. But it looks like you are back in your office. Is this your office uh, where you're located in uh, Decatur? Is that correct? This is. That's, yep, I'm in Decatur. I'm in uh, our unit, the unit that I oversee, I guess you could say, is a tri-county unit. So I'm in Macon County in Decatur, and I also cover Pyatt and DeWitt counties. Um, and yes, I'm in the office today uh, because the kids would have been really loud for an interview at home. <laughs> hey, I think early, you all on. understand. <laughs> we, we get it. We get it. Early on, there was a lot of editing out screams and yells and hoops and hollers. Cat with, meows. Like, cat meows, dog <laughs> barks. Oh, my goodness. Um, but then I think after a while, we just started embracing the, the screaming and yelling. So. Yeah, you know, right. because we're not the only ones doing it. Everybody, everybody got to uh, experience that. Exactly. Yes. Uh, so, Sarah, kind of one of the other parts of our job. I mean, yes, as educators, we we talk about horticulture. Um, you know, we we help to 
spread that knowledge out into our communities. Uh, but you know, part of it is also helping to oversee some of our local volunteer programs, the Master Gardeners and Master Naturalists. Now, that I'm not as familiar with, in your tri-county area. Do you have uh, Master Gardeners and Master Naturalists where you're at? We do. We do have both programs uh, going on. I oversee the Master Gardeners and the Master Naturalists uh, are actually under a, another educator. Okay. Um, I'm not sure how that worked out, but that's the way it works in our unit, uh, in our tri-county area. Um, and they are, the Master Naturalists that we have are really involved. They really care. They are self-motivated, self-sustaining for the most part, which is great. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, just really try to make their presence known in the community. So they're appreciated. Definitely. And so one of the things, aspects of uh, with volunteerism is, is making sure that we, you know, we're training, we're educating them as well so that they can continue to extend that knowledge out into our communities. So Sarah, do you know, are, are there any training opportunities coming up in, in your neck of the woods for volunteers? Yes, so our uh, our Tri County area will we will have offered five opportunities to go through the Master Gardener Corps training in 2021. We've already had the hybrid Master Gardener training. Uh, we have an online training to start in June, uh, and then some other online opportunities, and then our in person uh, training in fall. So, and I think that hybrid training has been real successful. I know a lot of volunteers that have gone through that really enjoyed that hybrid, kind of that flipped classroom uh, approach of, of learning at home. Well, I mean, we're all learning at home, but, you know, that learning at home approach and then, you know, joining for a little while once a week, just to ask questions and uh, kind of hash out, you know, kind of different activities. So I we think had some good really feedback uh, being mm -hmm. able to offer, you know, virtual opportunities like that. We actually had some master gardeners go through, um, well, our in-person training, uh, master gardener training last fall was, of course, virtual. Um, but that actually allowed for some people to join where they may not have otherwise been able to. So I think accessibility was important there, too. Definitely. Yeah, I, I think we've reached a lot more people through that hybrid style training. So uh, I, in, in terms of the community projects that uh, Master Gardeners do in, in your neck of the woods, what would you say uh, this year are are you most excited about? Um, I guess is, is that really hard to say? Are we picking favorites like like kids? Maybe we can't do this. Maybe no. that's a bad question to ask. I hope I don't get anyone in trouble. <laughs> No, no, I don't. I, you know, I think we all have our kind of pet projects in any mm -hmm. position, anywhere we go. Um, so I don't think that's unfair to ask. Something I'm really excited about um, is our partnership with a local healthcare facility. Um, they serve a really great need in our community. Their clientele is comprised of a lot of low resource populations, um, and they have started what they're calling a prescription produce program. Um, where their clients receive vouchers for fresh produce and then uh, come to their on-site gardens and farms and orchard even. Um, it's an amazing program. We have uh, our master gardener volunteers that will go and help there. Their farm manager has gone through the master gardener training. Um, and I just really look forward to that partnership continuing because I think it's, a, it's needed and well-received in the community. That sounds amazing. That, that's like a really good way to get get that interaction going between the producer and the, the consumer there. And, you know, I, 
we do have it's some great to have something like that, uh, uh, you know, where we're already kind of investing our, our volunteer mm -hmm. force, uh, then, you know, I can go out there and help provide, you know, and master gardeners provide technical assistance they have in their orchard. I've done like a fruit tree pruning workshop uh, that was pretty well attended, I think, um, given the circumstances of these la yeah. this last year, of course. Um, but we also, uh, it is, it's an amazing, an amazing opportunity, a, a partnership that we have there. So I'm really going to, uh, to coddle that one and make sure we <laughs> keep that one going. I think that sounds like a pretty, pretty neat program. So I, I would be interested also in learning more about it as sure. the time goes through. Yeah. So that would be good to know. Um, you, there is another uh, program that you have going on. It's a virtual help desk. Uh, you call it Anything Grows. Uh, tell us a bit about that. That's right. So um, sort of, we started the, the first round of Anything Grows last year, and it was sort of a, in response to all the, the onslaught of new gardeners that everybody saw. Um, you know, oftentimes people bite off a little more than they can chew and, but everybody had so much time, you know, to do these things last year. And, uh, and once they realized that they may be facing some challenges, uh, and our, our regular master gardener help desk wasn't in session, of course. So another educator and myself kind of formed a virtual help desk that we're, we called anything grows. And this is the second round of it. So every Friday from noon to one. Uh, until June 25th, I think it's a ten, has been a 10 week series if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you can you have to pre-register so so we know you're coming. We know who who we got mm -hmm. here. Uh, but you can get on and just ask questions. Um, it's a pretty informal atmosphere. Uh, we have kind of some topics. You know, uh, we started with what's in bloom right now in the spring. We've talked about vegetable gardens. We'll, we'll talk about composting. So we have a topic that we'll talk about but also we like to just hear about what's going on in everybody else's yards or maybe some problems that you're encountering or maybe you have a tree problem and it's on vegetable day. That's fine too, because anything grows. Everybody learns something. <laughs> I like that. Okay, well, I there's lots happening out of, out of your Decatur office there. We will put a link to your website, uh, your unit website uh, to anything grows and, and to be able to reach out to you more specifically. People are listening to this and they have questions about, uh, you know, what we've been discussing, whether it's volunteerism or asking questions. That sounds great. You know, another uh, opportunity that I would really like to talk about that may be helpful for other educators or people involved in other volunteer uh, programs um, is something that we've been really looking at a purposeful volunteer recruitment, I guess you could say, um, and trying in trying to reach diverse audiences. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the newbie here, so you all have probably heard it a, a squillion more times than I have, but, you know, extension is this quote-unquote hidden gem, and, uh, you know, we have this great master gardener program, but we're not reaching everybody that we could, so uh, to bring it to people, um, you know, to more underserved audiences, I guess you could say, which has kind of been both my personal and professional agenda for some time is reaching those underserved audiences. Um, you know, we're trying to reach out and find the person that doesn't know where their food comes from before the grocery store and get them into some, if not the Master Gardener training program, then maybe just some of our events uh, as a participant. Um, you know, there's, I'm sure you aren't amazed, but some of your listeners or viewers may be amazed that 
many people do not know where their food comes from mm-hmm. before the grocery store or that this tomato came from a plant that was grown from a seed. Um, and so for, for me, call, call it naive, but I really believe that education fosters appreciation for things. And the more somebody can learn about something, the better we take care of it. Um, whether that is public parks or their vegetable garden or the trees in their yard. Um, I think that many master gardeners would probably say the same, which is why they're involved in the program. So asking, I guess, amongst my, my team here, my local team here, uh, those, those tough questions, you know, does our volunteer force uh, represent what our communities look like? Um, if they do, great. Um, if they don't, can we change that? Or how do we change that? Um, you know, why the presence of master gardeners or myself in the community helps, but why aren't we reaching certain audiences? So we've looked at um, reasons people don't volunteer or, or participate in these events. And there could be all kinds of different reasons, you know, anything from transportation, you know, which again, our virtual opportunities help a lot uh, to cost barriers. Um, here in our Tri-County area, we offer a partial fee waiver for Master Gardener training, which was in place before I came here, so I'm not going to try and take credit for that. Um, sometimes the hours of our events, uh, you know, those who work regular nine to five jobs may not be able to come uh, at 11 a.m. on a Tuesday, so um, making things more accessible. And sometimes it's things like language barriers um, that... For instance, I'd love to see our Master Gardener program offered in other languages. I think that could really reach a lot of people um, or even just starting with specific brochures or handouts or maybe multilingual social media uh, posts. I think these are all really great ways to provide accessibility. So once we started talking about that, then we're like, okay, well, how do we, we go about this? And so using the tools and data and things at our disposal, um, we tried to target audiences, and you can do that in lots of different ways. Uh, you can, you know, you can make a map of all the master gardener addresses that are, that are currently enrolled internally. Of course, we've never shared that information. Of course, uh, and you know, have all these dots on the map, and then aim for the place where the dots aren't. Um, you can use things like the U.S. Census Bureau and uh, targeted mailing through USPS to look at different you know, your target audiences. Um, and then again, try and make a presence in those target areas. And I think our big thing is we wanna make sure that we are intentionally including people, um, not just casting the same net that we've always used and hoping we get some diversity. You know, um, I think intentional inclusion is really key in, in a lot of extensions efforts. Let's I told you like- once you got me talking. Hey, no. So you're asking a lot of the same. I mean, like like you said, uh, squintillion times. We we've been we've been asking ourselves these questions, or we've been hearing the the, the idea that we're Illinois' best kept secret, which I don't think marketing's going to let us say anymore. They're they're no. like, <laughs> stop it, stop saying that. Um, but the the question of accessing underserved audiences, holy cow, we've been asking that. But it sounds like you're you are you're making like measurable progress on. So, I mean, that, that, that's, that's why we love having new educators on because 
you can figure out these problems that we've just been banging our heads against the wall. Well, I think it, I think it takes all of us though, right? It takes mm -hmm. a new idea from over here and a little bit from over here and Hey, I've got this tool back here and uh, you know, make it, that's how we make progress. It's not, it's not just my idea. Trust me. It's a whole team of people kind of putting our heads together. Um, but I think the most important thing again is how, how can we reach everybody? How can we mm -hmm. include everybody in this? Oh yeah. Oh, completely 100% agree. I think, yeah, that, that is a, I think that is a great discussion. You should be on the annual, annual conference. So extension, we have an annual conference every year. I think that sounds like a good topic for that. I think somebody's already tried to recruit me, but nice try. Ah, nice try. <laughs> Ken, Katie, <Those> me. <laughs> one of you. No, <laughs> we know we can pass your name along too, though. <laughs> oh, yes. Sarah, in, in addition to, you know, everything we've been talking about, your background also stems quite heavily in tree care, arboriculture, forestry. Um, so we do have some questions. Uh, these are these are actual questions that come into the extension offices. Um which, you know, they're, they're the basis for what we'll be talking about here. Uh, wondering, would you mind helping us uh, go through this kind of, uh, the, these myriad of tree topics? I would not mind at all. It is one of my most very favorite topics to talk on. And the questions that come in are always fascinating. So please, by all means. I, great learning experience for us too as educators is, is, is working through these questions. So Katie, would you mind kicking us off this week? on to our, our troublesome tree questions. Absolutely. Um, so as our trees are being leaving, leafing out, um, I've been getting a lot of questions from homeowners as to uh, why is my tree not leafing out or why is my tree not full? Um, so what are some of the biggest problems that you see when it comes to trees in the home landscape? So uh, I think that could probably be addressed in a few different ways. Um, uh, you know, when it comes down to somebody's specific tree, of course, you all know that we're going to ask for lots of different pictures for diagnosis if we don't visit, the, aren't able to visit the site. Um, and there are certain things that we know we see every year, like anthracnose and uh, things that have affect certain species like rhizosphera uh, and different things. So there's kind of timely topics that come along with that. Um, and which that's, again, why extension is here, right? So we can push out that information at the right time and, and maybe help somebody turn on the light bulb that like, oh, I, I saw my tree do this last year. Maybe it's just a, an annual thing. Um, you know, for, for homeowners, clients, or, or, or whatever, not everybody owns a home, so I had to say homeowners. Um, but in yards, uh, you know, trees in the urban environment get, well, they get the short end of the stick, no pun intended. Um, and, and I don't, when I say urban trees, I don't necessarily just mean uh, downtown city streets. This is, you know, neighborhoods, suburbs, um, anywhere there, where there are both trees and humans in existence together. Um, trees often suffer because they don't, um, maybe it wasn't the right plant for the right site. Um, they get so they're put in conditions that aren't necessarily suitable to that species. Um, they may get improperly pruned over time, which can lead to a lot of different problems, you know, invitation of different pests and pathogens. They could have been improperly planted um, or had just constant human activity around them, you know, mowing 
around there, you know, maybe the mower deck takes a little bit of bark off every time or just the compaction of soil from mowers or our own feet. Um, construction that we do, uh, making a new driveway or sidewalk, things like that. So um, it's not always those biotic pests and it's not always a disease or an insect. Sometimes we're the pests, you know, and we're putting in, putting, putting these trees in uh, environmental conditions where they experience, uh, you know, different stressors. So as, as you mentioned, we get a lot of technical assistance requests. And, and I think the tree question, what's wrong with my tree? What's going on here is probably one of the most frequent, at least here. Um, so again, the abiotic disorders, those environmental stressors and things like that, I think that those are every bit as prevalent, if not more so, than our actual uh, biotic disorders, um, with some exceptions. So, um, you know, for instance, emerald ash borer uh, that we, many of us have heard of, uh, that is a pest that affects ash trees. It is definitely the cause of destruction and decimation of that species. Um, However, even in saying that, emerald ash borer will typically come after, pick off the sickly ones first. Um, they'll come after those trees that are already stressed. Um, and then it's good for homeowners to know too that it's rarely one thing that affects a tree. You know, we get a call when somebody's experiencing symptoms of something or they see um, an infestation of insects or whatever, which are generally not uh, they're generally a symptom and not the cause, you know, I, 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 generally speaking. Um, so trees rarely suffer and die from only one thing. They have these, see these whole range or host of environmental conditions that will compound and eventually lead to tree failure, a slow death over time. Many nails in the coffin there. That's right. That's right. And, you know, sometimes we're forced to tell people things that they don't want to hear. I think people often look for that, that kind of magic pill, you know, the magic, mm -hmm. what, what can I spray on this to make it better? Um, and then sometimes the answer is, well, nothing. There's no control for that. I'm sorry, your tree's going to die. Sometimes it's, yes, you can save it, but you have to do these four things at these certain times a year, which is also, <laughs> you know, some people will do it, some people won't. Um, uh, and with talking with, when talking with clients, I often try to take a positive approach to it instead of saying, well, you picked the wrong species and you put it in the wrong spot and you've pruned it improperly. That, you know, doesn't make anybody feel good to be uh, accused, you know? So I'll say things like, well, we encourage proper practices. Um, you know, we see problems with blue spruce because they aren't, they don't, they aren't suited to our soils very well. And these are the things we see, or um, we recommend, you know, leaving branches on lower branches on evergreens because it'll compromise the structural integrity or, um, well, some of us like dandelions and clover and violets in our grass mm -hmm. because it, you know, helps pollinators that, that encourage the food we eat. So um, I try to, you know, I know it's passive aggressive, so I already know. <laughs> Perfect job with, for all of us. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that often with trees in your yard, people just don't know what the, they're in for. Um, we all want the benefits of trees, like you mentioned, the shade, the recreation, wildlife habitat, whatever the case may be. And some people just, they just don't know. They just don't know. And that's exactly where extension comes in.
Right. So like you mentioned, a lot of times we're our own worst enemies when it comes to growing trees. And I think one of the, the more common issues that I've seen is tree planting. Um, a lot of issues with that. So, and there's a lot of conflicting advice online about kind of the best way to do it, what you should and shouldn't do. So what is the best way to go about planting a tree? Right. So uh, right plant for the right site. That's kind of our mantra, right? We, um, we want to pick a species and, you know, I'm, I'm as a horticulturist, I'm not a purist. I don't say you've got to plant native everything all the time. I think there's some really great species out there that are aesthetically pleasing or smell really nice or whatever, or my grandma had one in her yard or whatever the case is, um, you know, but make sure that your site conditions are going to, you know, be habitable for that tree. So the right plant for the right site is first and foremost. You're going to find out the site conditions, what your soil's like, does it drain well, the sun exposure, um, the, the soil fertility, uh, just general things. And then it depends on what uh, product you're going to buy. Are you going to get a container tree? Or are you going to get a bald and burlap tree? You know, once you've picked these species, uh, you want to pick the right time of year to plant those things too. Um, container stock can be can be planted um, year round um, if it's maintained and watered properly, where if you chose a B&B, B&B uh, is bald and burlap for those who may not know, um, then you want to do that in the spring or fall um, before or after leaf drop, um, before bud break or after leaf drop, I should say. Um, so then now you've got your site conditions, you've got your species chosen. Now, before you dig any holes, you probably want to call Julie uh, to avoid uh, utility lines when you're digging that hole. Make sure you're safe. Um, if it is a bald and burlap tree, please get help. Uh, those are really hard and heavy to move around by yourself. Take it from me. Um, don't hurt yourself doing it, so get some help. When you plant a tree, you want to make it the hole two to three times wider than the, than the root ball but no deeper. I think planting, from my experience anyway, planting trees too deeply is uh, very, very common. And one of the, I won't say quickest ways to kill anything, because again, it's probably going to be a slow death for that tree, um, but it will eventually kill it uh, or be a major cause of stress for it. So then once you get the hole dug, you backfill halfway and do what I like to call the chomp and stomp. So you take your shovel and kind of chop up the, the soil uh, and stomp it down with your foot. So you're packing it in there. You use water to fill it up halfway, then backfill the rest of the way, rinse and repeat. Um, and it's really important to pack the soil in well around those roots because too much air to the roots is one of the first thing that's going to stress out that tree. Um, you want to water well after you plant, and depending again on what product you bought, uh, you might have to water for one to three years. Um, you know, whether it was bare root or container stock or bald and burlap. Staking, uh, guy wires and staking is not always necessary. So I encourage you to reach out to your local extension office and find out if that's something that you need to do. Um, you know, for further guidance on specific products. So then to, to follow up on that, we've got a homeowner question. And they said they keep hearing about root washing. What is it? And is it worth the extra effort when it comes to planting a tree? Well, 
Um, so root washing is uh, a practice that essentially you're removing all the soil from the roots of that tree. Um, it can be done with, I generally see it done with container stock um, because you can do it with, again, bald and burlap. You can do it, but you're going to have to have a really big trough um, and somebody to help you lift it in there. Um, but this is done so you can have a really good look at the roots. You want to be able to inspect them, make sure there's no broken roots or girdling roots or dead roots. You want to prune those things out of there. Um, again, I see it more with, with container stock because when, for instance, a comparison, when trees are grown in a tree nursery and then they're dug with a tree spade, they have, well, essentially about 95% of their roots are removed. Um, and so it's going to be stressed out anyways. You want to make sure you take care of it. So soaking might be a part of that practice. Um, but but B&B in the tree nursery, their roots are allowed to spread into the soil as far as they want. With container stock, your tree is only growing in that one pot. So you see those girdling roots circling around the pot pretty often. And that's one of the main reasons uh, for root washing. So no, it's not required. You know, certainly if you were planting 150 trees somewhere to reforest, that might be a, more of an undertaking than you're willing to do. Um, but if you've got one really nice, you know, uh, tree that you're looking to put in your yard, perhaps it is worth it to you. Sarah, how do you know if you have planted a tree too deep? What, like, what is, what does that do? Um, so when you... When you plant a tree too deeply, it will, the root flare will not be exposed. Um, and essentially, the, it, it, when it's planted too deeply, it will experience all kinds of stress, anything from root rot um, to, you know, loss of foliage, um, all kinds of different, different bad things that could happen. Um, not a best practice. Yeah, I, I see that quite a bit. A lot of times trees come uh, already planted too deep in those containers and and then the homeowner plants them even deeper you know they dig a 20-foot hole for a 10-foot tree so that's uh, right careful. we want to be that's exactly right we want to be able to see the the root flare of that tree once it's in the ground if it looks like a telephone pole it's probably too deep yeah don't we don't plant telephone poles that's a job for the power company um, uh, so our next question, uh, our kind of series of questions that we get is about emerald ash borer. Um, I know there's people who might be listening, watching that have been dealing with this for years and are like, oh, this is not, no big news to me. Um, but there are communities like here in Macomb where I'm at, um, did people know about it? You know, a lot did. Some people are just now finding out about it now that their ash is half dead. Um, so where does Illinois stand with EAB? Like how widespread is it now? Is it everywhere? Um, you know, what, what should we be, where, where should we be expecting to see this insect pop up? Well, you know, I would have to check more into that or I'm certainly open to suggestion. Um, as, as some people may know, emerald ash borer is uh, a, a species of beetle. I, I hope that's right, Ken, it is a beetle. Um, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, it's pretty much decimated ash populations in several states, um, lots of places, um, including Illinois. Um, and essentially the beetles feed under the bark uh, and will weaken and eventually kill the tree. I had mentioned to you earlier, I, some tree nurseries were really devastated in this state um, when they all of a sudden could not move uh, ash tree, you know, the ash trees that they were used to making money on to uh, 
they couldn't move them outside of Illinois. So there has been some regeneration efforts, um, but the ash trees are not surviving to the age, uh, you know, where they're reproducing. Um, so reproduction isn't occurring, regeneration isn't going well. Does that necessarily mean extinction? Um, perhaps not entirely. You know, we saw Dutch elm disease that came through and wiped out almost all of the American elms, but there are still a few specimen uh, trees here and there. Um, but it will likely, uh, I don't think the ash trees were, are going to recoup their traditional, um, you know, economic purpose. You know, people, we aren't going to be able to sell them probably until this uh, species goes away. They aren't going to have uh, the ecological uh, effects that they once did. So I think the emerald ash borer is just another example, another shining example of an invasive species that uh, we want to keep an eye on, we want to be aware of, and we want to kind of follow those guidelines that places like organizations like Extension are putting out, like don't move firewood, for instance. So with young trees, we see there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Um, we do have a question from Cook County on a tree that a person thinks there's a fungus making the bark peel off. Um, it is planted next to a playground, so there is the potential that some kids peeled off the bark. Um, so that could be a little misleading. Yeah, so as, as we talked about, uh, sometimes we're the pests, right? Sometimes just the human interaction or, you know, maybe if those kids weren't peeling off the bark, they would be breaking the branches or stripping the leaves off or compacting the soil around there, which is something that happens a lot, but isn't uh, always visible. Um, you know, we encourage anybody that's concerned about the health of their tree to really get up close and scout. Um, if they think it's a fungus, look around for that fungus. Is there, you know, fungal fruiting bodies on there? Um, when somebody calls in with a, you know, a tree question, I have a whole list of go-to questions or pictures that I ask them for, um, you know, look up close for, again, that fungal growth, look for maybe um, some holes from boring insects, look for uh, oozing of sap or weeping of sap, look for spots or bumps or cankers or whatever the case may be. Um, anything, <laughs> I, have to, I have to clarify typically, uh, that we're looking for insect infestations, not necessarily just one ant crawling on the tree, um, but whatever looks unusual to that client, right? Um, again, that picture, the list of pictures that I ask for, I'll ask for a, the, a picture of the entire tree from afar, which usually people think about. They want to show you the whole tree, but then also uh, have a look around the base of the tree, the trunk where it goes in the ground, you know, if you're seeing some fungus around there, that's probably not a good indication. That means there's decay in there at the base of a tree. Um, look where the smaller branches attach to the larger ones, where the larger branches attach to the trunk. I'll ask for a good picture of the bud and the leaf, both sides. Um, and then ask for kind of a timeline um, or, you know, for your homeowners, uh, for your clients, uh, what, ha what has gone on around this tree? Has there been years of drought stress going on or is it in a swampy area and it's a cherry tree? Hint, cherry trees do not like wet feet. Um, you know, to, but anything we can try to do to get a clear picture of a more holistic picture, I guess you could say, of the whole issue. This helps us to diagnose um, and recommend treatment. You know, whenever I hear of a, a tree in decline near a playground, I'm always like, 
you know, part well, of my yeah, brain. It is. <laughs> yeah, it's just like kids, those kids. Because I, when we have a little wooded area behind our house, and my boys know that when a new kid comes over, it's like never fails. They grab a stick or they grab a baseball bat or something, they start whacking away at the trees in the wooded area. And my kids are like, don't you do that. My dad's going to yell at you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they know that. It's just like, yeah, uh, but yeah. it never fails. Never fails. I've heard kids my own children. Trees. I've heard my own children yell at other kids for picking flowers in the park. I'm like, go mm-hmm. get them, kids. Go get them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, not your flowers. Those belong to the bees. Yeah, it's you know, like I like I keep thinking, it, sometimes we're the pest, and and kids are just trying to find out about the world around them. You can't blame them for being like, well, I wonder what this does. I wonder what this feels like. I wonder what happens when I poke this. You know, uh, so I can appreciate their their curiosity. Um, you could have grown a tree if it weren't for those meddling kids. I know. <laughs> so let's switch directions here to mulch. Um, so a lot of times people will mulch around their trees. And oftentimes when you drive around, that mulch looks kind of like a volcano. And even, you know, commercial landscapers, you can see them doing this when they mulch trees, just kind of piling it up on the, the trunk of the plant. And we as extension say, don't do that. So what is the correct way to go about mulching your trees? That's right. Don't do that. Don't make mulch volcanoes. Um, I think the uh, the bagel, not muffin, is a good visual representation um, that sums it up pretty appropriately. Um, so mulch volcanoes, for those who may not have heard of it or may not have seen it, they might notice it now. It's um, an improper technique um, to mulching and uh, where the mulch is kind of piled up against the bark, like you mentioned, and pretty much this just invites uh, problems, you know, this invites pests and pathogens to come in because it's nice and dark and moist, just like how pests and pathogens like it. Um, So we recommend planting again with the root flare visible, and then we want to mulch two to four inches around the tree you know, if it's a young tree, try and do it out to the drip line of that tree or where the crown, you know, lines make a, make a, you know, to make a visual, make a vertical line from the, the crown of that tree down to the ground and mulch that big. Mulch has numerous benefits uh, to trees. You know, you're adding organic matter back to the soil. You're going to suppress the weeds around there. So there's no need to mow up against the trunk, which is going to cause mechanical damage. Um, it, it reduces your water usage um, a little bit. So there's all kinds of things that are great about mulch, but uh, you know, less is more. We don't want to pile it up. And, and I would like to add also that mulch, even though a really good practice to use it, is not a good, not a substitute for proper plant health care. We got to do all the other things right too. Yeah, you can't just mulch the heck out of that cherry planted in the swamp, you know, it's still <laughs> right. probably going to die because <laughs> it's planted in the wrong place. So uh, another question that, that's pretty common again are, um, I call them tree rats, also known as squirrels, um, roosting or nesting inside hollow cavities of trees. And so, you know, there was a specific question that came in recently um, through Ask Extension, which is just, it's another method for getting in touch with, um, you know, your local extension uh, educator. So um, this, this was a, a question that came in. So they're asking about, there's a hollow area in their Norway maple. 
but it's right where the two, I'm guessing co-dominant trunks, two trunks split off. Um, and there's a little hole in a hollow there where a, a squirrel is building their nest inside that tree trunk. So they want to know, first off, it, you know, is the squirrel going to kill their tree? Uh, do they need to get rid of it? And then they read that, you know, what to do is to fill that void with concrete. So uh, should we, should they be doing, should they be doing that? <laughs> if I had pearls, I would clutch them. Heavens no, do not put concrete in your tree. It does not belong there. No, don't do that. Um, you're exactly right. It sounds like that specific instance might be co-dominant stems growing together. And so we get this, um, when two trees grow together, they, they get what's called included bark in the middle where they're starting to grow together, which is going to cause for a weak spot in the tree. Um, so if this client has already seen a hole in there, Probably the squirrels did not make that. They're just making the best use of the habitat available to them. Um, what can cause the hole right there is as this included bark continues to grow together, um, it may cause some decay when, and then when it catches water or, you know, any kind of moisture stays in there or perhaps other, you know, pathogens, uh, fungal or bacterial could, could be present without knowing more about it. Um, but the likelihood is that it's probably included bark and has caused a weak spot in the tree, um, and the squirrels are just taking advantage of it. Don't put concrete in it. In fact, I wouldn't even suggest you go digging around in there, because if it is a weak spot, you have two trees, essentially what are two trees leaning either way, um, you could, you know, that could pose a hazard to somebody's person or property. Um, you can also, uh, if you reach out to Extension, there are some of us certified arborists on staff. You could also reach out to another tree care professional in your area uh, for more guidance on that. Sarah, if you don't have a local arborist, uh, we also have a listing of some local foresters. Uh, would they be able to help um, like a, a person with their trees as well, like their landscape trees, or are they more focused on um, just going out in the forest and looking at trees? Um, it, I think it kind of depends. I don't want to, I don't want to misspeak um, for what somebody else's job may or may not be. Um, generally speaking, I think that district foresters focus on kind of larger scale projects, but that may not be true for every area in Illinois. Um, um, sometimes our municipalities have a certified arborist on staff too, that isn't necessarily a tree care professional, um, but just the the city person who takes care of boulevard trees. And uh, even if they aren't certified, you know, I, I do try to stress the importance of finding a certified arborist because we can search those lists and databases. Um, but there are lots of good qualified people out there that don't necessarily have that one um, certification too. So we've talked a lot about improper pruning and maintenance. Um, so things like not cutting tree branches back to collars or um, trenching along tree roots and hitting those. Um, if we have issues like this with our trees, how long can we expect them to live? You know, I often, I often wish I had a crystal ball um, because I get asked questions like that a lot. Um, and unfortunately, I can't tell anybody how, how long something is going to survive because um, there's so many variables in there right? You know, it's the species, the age, the location, the environmental conditions that that tree has endured. Um, and 
honestly, for me to go out, and I am a certified arborist, so you'd think, okay, this gal knows what she's doing. Not always. I mean, sometimes I can go out and estimate a tree failure to occur, you know, that's going to occur soon, and that tree lasts for 15 years. Um, or sometimes I think, oh, yeah, that's not too shabby, and then it falls over in the next windstorm. Um, and so it's, it's tough for us to know the entire history of a tree, which can give you some insight. And it's tough to see inside of trees, at least with the naked eye. Um, there are some tree decay detection devices um, that some arborists might use. And these work uh, to varying degrees of effectiveness um, using ultrasound or um, what's it called, electronic resonance, I think, something along those lines, or just the old standby increment bore where you twist a, uh, pull a core sample out of there. But again, that's opening up more wounds to a tree that might all already be uh, stressed. So the best answer that I can say is I can't tell you how long that improper practices will take to kill a tree, but I can say that proper practices will probably improve that estimation. I mean, it's like the tree lottery, you know, they, they kind of get lucky, you know, you see trees growing in the most impractical places, but they got lucky, you know, they found a, a broken sewer pipe, you know, they, they found right. a, a source of energy, or it's just someone's left it alone, and uh, it, it's done okay. Uh, but then there's other trees where you might try to baby it, and you pay too much attention, and then, yeah, like you said, it, it falls over in the next windstorm. It's, it's, I call it the tree lottery. You don't quite know yeah. what's going to happen next. Yeah. And, you know, uh, that kind of thing, trial and error happens to we, I use this term loosely, trained professionals. Uh, but sometimes, yeah, you just don't know what might be going on inside of that tree. Um, and uh, we are just at the whim of nature. It's a practice. It's like medicine. It's the practice of medicine. We're, we're practicing on plants, so the stakes aren't as high, <laughs> unless you really love that tree a lot. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, that was a lot of great information about trees, tree care. Uh, Sarah, horticulture educator in Decatur, um, thank you so much for being on the Good Growing Podcast today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, we are produced by Wendy Ferguson and edited by me, Chris Enroth. A special thanks to Ken and Katie for being with us every single week to go through the topics of our choosings. This so happens to be talking about trees this week. So Ken, Katie, thank you very much for being here. Yeah, thank you, Sarah, for joining us. And Chris and Ken, it's always a pleasure to see you guys. Thank you, Sarah and Chris, Katie. Let's do this again next week. Oh, we shall do this again next week. We are going to be chatting with our our departing colleague Martha Smith she's taken off she's retiring we'll, we'll see her again she lives in my unit she's like a couple miles away from me so I'm, I bet I'll see her again she'll probably be a master gardener so um, <laughs> we can twist her arm that way you should be so lucky I know I know it's like the most qualified master gardener in the state of Illinois so um, well Listeners, thank you for doing what you do best, and that is listening, or if you're watching this on YouTube, watching, and as always, keep on growing.